Welcome to the Cine Siblings Movie Draft, the podcast where two brothers and sometimes a guest choose a genre within film and attempt to build our best top five by taking turns drafting films, fantasy football style, and of course, sharing our love for those films. I'm Ian. I'm James. And today we have a guest and fellow podcaster, Dan, from the awesome Film Trace podcast. Introduce yourself, Dan, and plug your podcast. Hey guys, how's it going? So I'm Dan from Film Trace. Uh, my co-host Chris could not make it tonight, but he's here in spirit. Uh, so Film Trace is basically a podcast uh, where we take a deep dive on a single film uh, new to streaming or, or a brand new release. And we kind of walk through the conception of the film, the production of the film, uh, the release and reception of the film as well to kind of understand the cultural impact of what that film is all about and if it matters or not. Uh, so yeah, we're on all the normal podcast uh, sort of medium. So check us out uh, at uh, at Film Trace Podcast on Twitter. And I was on your last guy, uh, you guys' last episode where we talked about High Fidelity, and that was which a lot was of fun. fun. That was yeah, a fun was. episode. Uh, that's an interesting movie to go back and 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 dive into. It uh, uh, was seeing it from uh, you know twenty years removed is a very strange feeling because I was a teenager when it first came out, and it was a huge movie, and now it feels so odd and kind of not a cool move anymore sadly it was funny because our last guest josh well for um saving private ryan he went and watched the film after listening to y'all's podcast because he'd never seen it and he absolutely adored the movie (laughs) 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 it's all about timing where you hit it in your life that's really what it comes down to he's a little bit older than us so i think it just hit hit him that in that sweet spot i guess and yeah. y'all's next episode is going to be the Wolf uh, of Snow Hollow, right? Yeah, yeah, the Jim Cummings film. Um, yeah, we're going to do that. I think this weekend and probably put it out next week. Yeah, I watched it. I've watched it twice. It's. I really like it. It's uh, so you good. You'll Thunder need to watch Road? it, Jamie. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, I watched that after I watched. So did the, I. I watched it after too because I was just so intrigued by the guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's a. It's an interesting movie. Both He's of them act- are. Jim Cummings is actually a Louisiana boy, uh, Jamie. Yeah. Yeah, because he grew up in New Orleans, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, fun. But today on this podcast, we are drafting coming-of-age movies. And James, you're the literary nerd here. Define coming-of-age story for me. Well, uh, a coming-of-age story is, as the name suggests, where one of the primary focuses of the tale is the protagonist's transition from adolescence into adulthood, at least in some way. So while it's usually literal, so the protagonist is some sort of teenager, it's not always the case. Uh, Sometimes it's just about the loss of innocence, uh, experiencing adult realities, or just having some sort of epiphany about the adult world. Yeah, and usually I like to sort of ask everybody what their relationship with this genre of films is, but I think everybody has coming of age experiences in their life. So when they watch these films, they feel an overwhelming sense of nostalgia. And uh, yeah, so do y'all have any uh, thoughts about that? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I used to like when I was younger, um, probably teenager, early 20s, I like adored coming of age films. 
as I've gotten older, uh, I've become less in love with most of them. Like if I saw anything like Squid and the Whale or anything back in the day, I was like, this is amazing. I love this. I love that transformation. Nowadays, I'm a little bit of a cynic uh, when it comes to coming of age. It's got to be something really profound or it's sort of like, yeah, everybody becomes an adult eventually. Eventually right. you learn. Uh, so I'm always looking for something that's kind of special, kind of not the rote coming of age story. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with it now. I think that makes a lot of sense because, you know, the closer you are to your adolescence or the more you long for it, um, if you didn't watch the movie around that time, around that transition, or when you're longing to be an adult, you know, the, the movies that you watched when you're kind of into adulthood, they don't resonate nearly so well. So yeah. it, and a, a lot of it is, again, you know, like you were talking about these, these cliche wrote, you know, tropey kind of uh, films. All right. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like these stories. Some of them I love more than others. And I like I tend to like these kind of television shows. I mean, in my kind of formative teenage years, I was watching The OC and yeah. uh, a lot of those kind of people were like, oh, it's girly or whatever. And I'm like, really? <laughs> but I mean, it, it tells a good coming of age story where, you know, I don't know, but... Anyway, let's get in to see who goes first, and we're going to play the uh, actors categories game where we're going to, last man standing is going to win. I've shuffled the deck of actors here, and I'm going to draw one, and it is Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf is, uh, he's got a lot of movies, a lot of smaller movies. So... Dan, you're our guest, so you can name the first Shia LaBeouf movie, and then it'll go Jamie, and then it'll me. Um, I'm going to do Honey Boy. Fury. American Honey. Transformers? Transformers 2? I don't know if he's in Transformers 3, so I'm going to go away from that and say... Uh, don't take it. I have one in my head. Don't oh, take no. it. God, Two, what is this? It's a new movie. One. Even Stevens movie. No, yeah. mm. <laughs> Disturbia. Ah, damn it. Holes. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Ian, Ian, you're. I'm out. Oh, you're out. out. Okay. So I'm up. Uh, you got uh, me. You got oh. me. I, and what is the I'm new David Ayer? This is, this is the one where I was thinking of, I couldn't think of the name of it. It's the new David Ayer movie he's in. Oh, we did a podcast episode on it. How did I not remember this one? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the title. What is the title? Uh, takes place in Los Angeles. Tax it's Collector. Tax Collector. That's it. Yeah. Nice. Of right. course. That's I'll what I was trying that. to think of when I blurted out the Even Stevens movie. But you Guys, give me a lap and I blow it. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, Jamie, that means you're first, man. I didn't you won. want to be first. I, I, I never want, it never matters because like my number one movie is never anybody else's. All right, so, so Jamie, you're first, then Dan, then me. I'll go last that way because that's the order we lost in. Okay. Uh, so let's get into round one. Round one. All right, so my number one pick is going to be mermaids 1990 
I know. Interesting. It's, it's Interesting. A, it's, I know. It's a it's a weird pick. It's uh, the one with Cher. Yeah. So it it uh, stars Cher, Winona Ryder, Bob Hoskins, and a young Christina Ricci. Um, it's six point seven on IMDb, fifty six on Metacritic. It's not you know universally Yikes. loved. Yeah. So the premise is a single mother uh, to two daughters relocates her family to a small New England town in the nineteen sixties. Um, it, this film is just really dear to my heart. It follows the coming of age of this 15 year old girl, Charlotte, played by Winona Ryder. She's a um, neurotic Jewish girl who's plagued by anxiety and an obsession with Catholicism. Uh, like it focuses on her relationship with her oddball mother, played by Cher, and her younger half sister, played by Christina Ricci. Uh, and it kind of follows her first romantic relationship. And I mean, I remember watching this as a kid. It, I think it, it's one of those films that we watched because our mom really liked it. Yeah, for sure. And cool, it's, it's girl growing up in the 1960s. So it kind of, it, it was resonating with her and I just thought it was cool. And um, I remember watching it as a kid. I may, may have been like eight or so. And I turned to mom and she, I'd say, she takes herself way too seriously. Um, the characters are quirky, they're fun. The film, it really captures the inner voice of a 15 year old girl that has some seriously unbalanced upbringing. Um, I just, I like the film. And it's, it is the first film I thought of when we talked about coming of age movies. And so I just went, I'm gonna pick it. All right, well, it's got a 74% on IMDb, which is pretty good. And a 70% uh, audience score. You mean Rotten Tomatoes? That, that's what I meant, yes. <laughs> Love it. You seen this movie, uh, Dan? I have not. I, I remember it very vaguely, uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't really describe it all that much. I, I think I saw it when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, but not since then. Uh, we watched it a lot as, as kids. I do remember that. We had a little recorded VHS from TV or something and uh, definitely watched it a lot. Haven't seen it since. I have thought about it though. I do. I do have visions of this movie. I mean, I, I love born, it. Yeah, I do. I was born in '89, so this came out the year after I was born. So, I do have visions of this movie. All right. Well, Jamie, you got anything else? Nope. All right, Dan. It is your pick. Not my number one pick, huh? Um, yeah. This is tough. I I had kind of an internal debate between two movies, um, but I'm gonna go with Rushmore. Uh, so this is a 1998 movie, uh, Wes Anderson's second film, uh, starring Jason Schwartzman, uh, Bill Murray, famously, Olivia Williams, Brian Cox. Um, it's essentially about uh, a strange young man at a, uh, a private school in Texas. Um, and it's essentially him. It's a little bit of a love story with him and a teacher. Uh, and Bill Murray's an industrialist that he somehow befriends. And they sort of fight over this teacher at the school. Um, but it is, uh, if you're familiar with Wes Anderson, this is obviously one of his earlier films. Uh, he's much less um, uh, eccentric than his, than in his other, other movies. It's much more grounded than, say, Steve Zuzu or Grand Budapest Hotel even, um, or Fantastic Mr. Fox, his claymation movie. Uh, it is, it just feels like it has a lot more weight to it than his other films. 
And, you know, the coming of age aspect to this, I think is just wonderfully written. Uh, he, uh, Max is the main character and he goes through this amazing transition from the start of the film to the end. Uh, and it's interesting and I think it's a very adult way of looking at a coming of age film because Max doesn't change his personality over the course of the film. He, he goes through the, the very traditional sort of, I learned something new about life and then I change as a person but he doesn't really change uh, who he is or his personality. And I think it's that sort of balance between change and kind of staying true to who you are that is really vital to a coming-of-age uh, coming film. Because anytime there's like a huge change and somebody uh, seems like they're a completely different person, I don't buy that. That seems false right. to me. Yeah. And so when it's a little bit more of a subtle change uh, in terms of how they view the world or how they view love in this case and friendship, uh, I just think um, it, it's a little bit more, um, I don't know, it just feels like it has more power to it. Uh, and I don't know, like Rushmore, have you guys seen Rushmore? Like, what do you know. got? You got, um, it's, no, have I'm you seen his other movies? Uh, I've seen some of them. I've seen yeah. Grand Budapest and yeah. Isle of Dogs. I can't emphasize enough how different his style is before and after Steve Zuzu in 2004. Like, because before that, um, he just has this, there's this richness to what he's doing. The Bottle Rocket is Chris's favorite film. Uh, and he actually named his son after the main character in that movie. Uh, and so we're both huge Wes Anderson fans. But I think it is, to me, the archetype, uh, the archetype of a great coming-of-age story but that's also artistically experimental at the same time, but also works as a traditional film. Like, it's... If you guys like gotta my, see it. That sounds up my alley, actually. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's not like out there all that much. You're gonna watch it and it's gonna feel kind of a little bit weird and off. Um, it kind of reminds me of um, a little bit kind of the Juno style, Diablo mm -hmm. Cody's Juno okay. and Jason Raymond, um, but a little bit more muted than that. And it's just, it's just pitch perfect to me. It's just a wonderful film. Got some scores for us, Dan? Uh, I, I got Rotten Tomato for you. I got, well, on IMDb, we got a 7-7, seven, seven, uh, which is okay. It's, IMDb is always hard to judge their scores. Um, yeah. It's like, it's if it's in the sevens, okay, it's pretty good. Uh, Rotten Tomato, 89%, which I feel like is low from critics. Uh, audience score, 91% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and it's, basically, it's Jason Schwartzman's and Bill Murray's, like, it's one of their best films, both of them. So you gotta, you gotta check it out. I love Sweet. Bill Murray, so, you know. Oh, he's so good in it. He's amazing. All right. Well, it is my first pick. And I'm going animation. Oh, love it. And the movie is Inside Out from 2015. <sighs> really? Nice. Dude. Okay, so it's got an 8.1 on IMDb, a 94 on Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes, 98% and 89% audience score. Starring Amy Poehler, Bill Hader, Louis Black, Mindy Kaling, Phyllis Smith, and the wonderful Richard Kind as Bing Bong. Uh, dude. Dudes. Dudes. <laughs> this movie is literally about emotions, and you will feel every single one of them as this 11-year-old Riley begins transitioning to adulthood. Uh, I don't think people traditionally think this is a coming of age uh story but this is about a girl coming of age and the range of emotions as her adolescence 
kicks in and uh, she's transitioning from a new town and her parents, you know, not her interactions with her parents. And I identify with this a lot as Mm -hmm. my childhood dealt with a lot of uh, difficult things, but, you know, divorce and other things. But dude, I cried so much in this movie i cried i cry in a lot of movies but this might be this one takes the cake and for coming of age films i do believe i rate these movies by how many times i cry and i've cried so much in this in this uh in this movie in the theater and i'm like trying to hide myself when i I leave but dude i know sarah and i so we were watching this with the kids and it's been like we watched it twice in like a two month span during lockdowns and stuff and every time like I'm not like paying like full close attention to it but we get to towards the end and it's just like I, I just I'm going like I'm bawling she's bawling the kids have no idea why we're bawling you know <laughs> It's it's just one of those. It is. It's a tearjerker. It's kind of like that. Uh, the opening of Up. Like if you're not yeah. crying, it's like what's wrong with you? Like so when Bing that, Bong when Bing Bong sacrifices himself. That that's like my one of my favorite moments in film is when yeah. that happens. Like I remember yeah. watching that. I like rented this randomly like six a.m. on a Saturday. I woke up early when I was living in Nashville, and I just rented it. And I was like, holy that scene alone is like this is this is like masterpiece level i'm just balling yeah yeah so this of course is a pixar film it's available on disney plus if you've never seen it uh if you want to cry some go for it but yeah this wasn't even on my radar when we started talking about coming of age films and then i was like trying to think of like movies that i just bawled my eyes out on and see and where 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 i ended up what if I was leaving anything <laughs> off? If I was leaving anything off, and I was like, "Holy smokes, this is a coming of age story." I mean, this is the definition of one. And you maybe you don't get to spend all the time with Riley herself, but these emotions are her. You know, so all these little characters of the emotions are her. It's a different way to play it, and I, I you know, we were talking about unique approaches to it before, so I like it. So okay. I do want to say something. Well, I'll say I'll save it for the end. Uh, so that's my first round pick, and now we're getting into round two. Round two. So it's my pick again. Yeah, you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, I'm stuck between two movies that kind of have a, they're kind of evenly keeled on mine. So I'm going to go with the better made movie, I think, and I'm going to take Moonlight from 2016. Oh, that was on my list. <laughs> oh god. Uh, well, fight, 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 fight. I don't. I was going to say I apologize, but I don't because this no, movie is so apologize. freaking good, man. <laughs> uh, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. So IMDb gives it a 7.4, which is weird. I feel like that's really low. The meta score uh, yeah. 99. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, 98%, with the audience score, 79%, starring Mahershala Ali, Naomi Harris, Trevante Rhodes, and Janelle Monet. Directed by Barry Jenkins. It's about a young African-American male man grappling with his identity and sexuality while experiencing everyday struggles of childhood, adolescence, and 
burgeoning adulthood. Dude, if I don't know that a perfect movie exists, but this yeah. is pretty damn close. It's pretty close. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. freaking close. I haven't uh, seen it. So. I was blown away by the acting, the transitioning of these actors, just like seamlessly taking on this character through the three separate chapters of the of his life and it's just frustrating to me how lonely this character is and how you know bullied and uh, i was deeply moved by watching this movie for sure uh, jamie have you seen it no no i was saying that i had not seen it so okay. i'm kind of a, i'm kind of at a disadvantage here yeah i want to hear i want to hear dan's thoughts since i stole I mean, it from it him it's just gorgeous it's one of the most beautiful films i've ever seen in my life um i remember the moment the trailer hit and like me and chris actually were talking about it when the trailer hit, we're like holy what is this and then when you finally see it um because you get so hyped for it and then you see it and it's even way better than you imagine it's just like this gorge it's it's a very poetic film yeah. And I think it's one of those films that uses film to its fullest extent. You know, you see a lot of movies and it's almost like a teleplay. They're just like filming people in a place. They're doing stuff. There's not a lot going on there. there um, a full use of like what film can do. There's a lot of experimental stuff within Moonlight that is like intertwined with the emotional narrative that just heightens everything um to an unbelievable extent where you're just like you feel like you are the character you feel that loneliness you feel when his mother is like yelling at him and the way barry jenkins uses the light it's just like so vibrant uh it really is a subjective sort of viewpoint that you become there of the character um and then of course you know it's iconic because of it you know one best picture over la la land la la land was Contra a lock controversially Yes. controversially because they called out la la land wins yeah. best picture uh, and then they, Warren Beatty then they and Faye Dunaway yeah they, they come out and they're like just kidding we're sorry it's really yeah. moonlight moonlight really won sorry and then everybody oh. and then everybody from la la land had to get off the stage and everybody from moonlight had to get back on the stage and we're yeah. just like I'm just like uh, they pulled a Steve Harvey on that they pulled a Steve Harvey on that nonsense well what happened was yeah. is Warren Beatty oh he was given the wrong card and the previous winner was Best Actress, Emma Stone, La La Land. So he opened it. It was Emma Stone, La La Land. And he was like, why does it say Emma Stone? But then he was just like, I guess it's La La Land. That's apparently what happened. Oh. Yeah, the accountant screwed up, whoever it was. Um, Whoops. That's bad. But, that's but one of the, I think it was one of the biggest surprises for yeah. Best Picture. Like, it was sort of like, it reminds me of like the Parasite win this year. You're like, wait, what? Like, the best film actually won? Best Picture? Right. Like, what is going on? I do enjoy La La Land. But I love I, La La Land. It's amazing. This is probably the better movie. And it's oh, all yeah. about that last way. shot where he, nobody's ever touched me. Or, you know, like, I haven't touched anybody else. I don't remember the line. But, and then they go, go out on the beach and then he basically is transported back to how he felt when he was a kid. Yeah, I mean, it's and, gorgeous. But I think yeah. it's, it, it's one of the, you look at like the Rotten Tomato score and stuff, 79%, right? It's like, there's a discrepancy there between critics and audience. Right? But this They're was before weird. the user, like, I almost guarantee that this was review bombed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I think the story elements and the homosexuality and that sort of stuff was just not. Because people are hateful, people yeah. are homophobic, and people are racist. And then when this one best picture over La La Land, I think a lot of people's negative reviews reflect that. 
And uh, a lot of times when people review movies, I view them as the people in the film. Like, I'm like, they're the people, they're the bullies, they're the assholes that are picking (laughs) on this kid. And uh, it's in the movie. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my number two pick. I'll stand by it forever and ever. Dan, it's your second pick. All right, second pick. Um, so this is the one I was fighting with for number one. Uh, my second pick is going to be Donnie Darko uh, from 2001. Uh, this Bruh. is directed by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of that as a coming of age story. Absolutely, nope. absolutely counts, right? Uh, so uh, Richard Kelly film 2001. Um, you know, had a weird sort of you know Jake Gyllenhaal's breakout role. His sister Maggie Gyllenhaal's in it as well. Jenna Malone, uh, Drew Barrymore. She famously helped produce the film and get it really made. Uh, Patrick Swayze's in it. Um, Noah Wiley as well from ER fame. Uh, it is a very strange movie. Uh, it's essentially about a uh, a teenager uh, growing up in suburban Virginia, uh, and essentially his um, through a freak accident. Uh, a jet engine falls off a plane and crashes into his bedroom and supposedly is supposed to kill him. But uh, he had gotten up that night because he saw this bunny rabbit. And this is already sounds insane, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he saw this bunny rabbit, uh, a man in a bunny rabbit costume or a bunny rabbit. We don't really know. Uh, and he starts following him around. It is one of the strangest films that I've seen. Um, it is truly bizarre um but it has a killer soundtrack uh a a really tight fascinating sci-fi tinged script to it um it really takes you on a journey Uh, and i think what what i love about this movie the most is that there's a lot of uh, fantasy elements to it um what i love about it the most is it sort of intertwines the coming of age concepts of learning that a lot of adults aren't great people Uh, A lot of people are going to lie to you Uh, and like learning those life lessons as a teenager, we all rebel, right? We all think, well, everybody's a liar then and nobody's a good person. And I think um, the main character was Jake Gyllenhaal, Donnie. He goes through this uh, sort of, and it's uh, accented by this sci-fi fantasy like plot elements that really enhances the emotional turmoil that he's going through. And I think, I think it's the only film or not the only film, but it's the best film that I've seen that really captures the existential confusion of being a teenager. Like it really captures it, like not knowing up and down essentially. Uh, And that's kind of what the film really um, puts you through Uh, because by the end of it, you're going to be like, I have no idea what I just watched. Uh, It's like, what just happened? I don't know. It almost feels like a, there's an element like it almost feels like um never-ending story almost with the fantasy <laughs> elements right it's like he's just fighting these people and then um it Doesn't is a movie that, exactly yeah yeah uh don't watch the director's cut it's horrific it's horrible don't do it uh yeah. richard kelly has not made a great film since this is his first movie and his best movie um he hasn't worked in 10 years actually uh but uh it is uh it is probably one of my favorite films of all time and I think it really does uh, capture the chaos of being a teenager and trying to figure out the world. Yeah, I actually watched this. Well, I watched it and didn't watch it. That's <laughs> so I think 
I ended up watching this in high school at some point and yeah. made out through most of it. <laughs> <laughs> <Damn> it. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> so like it was proto, it was a, proto Netflix and chill. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and and like, but I remember watching like parts of it and being like, I'm going to have to watch this late. Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, dude. It, you say a bunny rabbit in a cost or a guy in a bunny rabbit. This is a truly fucked up looking bunny rabbit. Like, yeah, its teeth are like just <laughs> like ready to chomp down. Its one eye is bigger than the other. It, this is definitely sort of a nightmarish feel. Yeah. A oh, dream. and also there's a mental illness too, which I didn't really touch upon. But yeah, really kind I of, think I think Inside yeah. Out did that too. I mean, touch yeah. on depression. 100 percent yeah uh okay so i I watched this movie literally back to back like i watched it i finished it it was one of years ago when i was on netflix i watched it and then i was like what the hell did i just watch (laughs) and then i just hit play again and watched it again (laughs) i was like okay i guess i need to watch this again because i don't get it but yeah i think you you knit and just you know and i didn't even think of this movie as a coming of age story, but really it is. But Jake Gyllenhaal has, like you said, this is his breakout role. And I think when I watched this, I was like, this dude's got it. And then when I saw him, oh yeah, when I saw him again in uh, Nightcrawler, I was like, oh god, so good. That was our season finale. Yeah, yeah that's our I was first like, season. this this dude still got it. He's amazing. Yeah, he's wonderful in this movie, and it's uh, it's truly bizarre, but it's worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Like, dive into it and. Uh, just avoid the director's cut. You don't need to see that. I haven't that's, seen. I don't think I've seen the director's cut. But usually, I, I directors, the directors are better. Uh, so yeah, there's a long story behind that. But Richard Kelly had a really good editor on this film, and uh-huh. that's one of the reasons why I think it uh, it works on the theatrical cut. Gotcha. Director's cut is a little bit too much. If you want to see uh, Richard Kelly uncut, go see uh, Southland Tales. That was the okay. second film, which probably no one's ever heard of. But no, nope. uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one of the most crazy things I've ever seen in my life. And it's well, like, that's it's, that's why you're here, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jamie, it is your round two pick, a Rooney. Oh, it is my round two pick. Okay, I am gonna go with Dazed and Confused. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> was it was on, your on your list? list? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. 1993. Um, this one was vying for number one, and then it was like vying for number five. But so number two is a good place for it. Uh, 7.6 on IMDb, 78 Metacritic. It's really this classic, and it now features an ensemble cast of what were then future stars. It's basically a tale of the last day of school in 1976. Uh, Follows a number of characters, but primarily the star quarterback, uh, senior now senior Pink, and the incoming freshman Mitch, and um, among a number of other characters. Each one is trying to navigate the pressures of high school life, football coaches, hazing, experimenting with weed and alcohol. And these characters are just, they're finding their way through tradition, most of which seems rather harsh and pressures to make promises you don't intend to keep and just learning how to grow up. I mean, it's a great film. It's enjoy. It's fun. It's just something that's fun to watch. And it's, you can see deep meaning in it if you want to, Mm -hmm. but you can also just watch it for 
the joy of watching it. I think this is our sister's favorite film and I actually watched it. Um, she, she was like sick or something and all she wanted to, to do was have like probably like fudge ripple ice cream and watch Dazed and Confused. And I think that was probably the first time I watched it. I've not seen it. this movie. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> I've right, seen then. a movie. I've seen a movie that Ian hasn't seen. This is like a first. <laughs> awesome. Uh, it's, yeah, man, it's, it, I, I, so I used to have, I don't have cable now, but I used to have cable and they used to like epics used to play movies on repeat. <laughs> and this is one of those movies that would come up. This is probably like 13 years ago when this happened. I probably watched Days, Days and Confused like in a year, probably like 20, 30 times because it was <laughs> always on. And it's just like a perfect hangout movie. Yeah. It's got this chill vibe. It just flows. Um, and I think it really, the thing that really uh, I love about Days and Confused is that it does accurately capture that feeling of being 16 being 15 or whatever and just your life and what a day is when you're that old there's a magic to those days that we start a lot of people long for um right. and it, it does really capture that feeling of just sort of gliding through life uh, as a teenager uh, hoping about the future and what's going to come uh having no idea that adulthood is an absolute uh, war zone uh but right. uh you know it's uh it's one of those films that it it, it definitely um captures that magic which i think it makes it a great film yeah i mean for me one of the things i remember like it, it goes I, I go what was it like when i was a freshman and i was like i remember sitting in the back seat driving around with a couple seniors yeah. and you know going to roll somebody's house like it wasn't <laughs> as bad as as what they were doing it's a little you know you turn everything up for a, a movie but everybody's got these kind of things and you're like okay well yeah, I, I, I can relate to this. This feels, yeah. uh, it, it, so it's got some nostalgia in that respect. And it's, it's just, it's fun. It's just, it, it, you, the perfect hangout movie. I, I completely agree. Yeah. And Ian will have to hang out and watch it. Dude, yeah, I think I do. Out. Yeah, I do. But Jamie, this is a memory I have when I was a kid. You were in high school. I was in middle school. You bought, you rented this from Blockbuster. You and a group of friends watched this movie, and you wouldn't let me watch it with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so I have not watched it since. Jerk. Uh, I am a bit of a jerk, but you know. <laughs> well, it is time for round three. Round three. Jamie, take it away. Oh boy, yeah. So I'm gonna take one that I don't think anybody has, and um, ten things I hate about you. Oh, it's on my short list. It's on oh. my. It's in my top fifteen. Okay. Um, so seven point one IMDb, seventy on Metacritic. Um, so it's a retelling of Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. Wait, time out, time out. Rotten Tomatoes scores are perfectly balanced at 69 and 69 it's literally the perfect movie uh, <laughs> it's perfect for this movie <laughs> yeah go ahead take it away all right so it is a retelling of shakespeare's taming of the shrew so a father requires that in order for his younger daughter bianca to be able to date the older more hostile daughter cat must date first um so 
uh, Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, you know, when they're all like young and at least sort of look like teenagers still. Um, <laughs> so other than the fact that I'm an English teacher and the movie like represents the relevance of Shakespeare in our modern period, um, like, I love this movie. It, as a kid, even before I knew it was Shakespeare, I mean, um, it's coming of age for multiple characters as there's like this double romance playing out and each character overcomes some of their childish immaturities to pursue romance in ways that are somewhat more mature. Um, so like, you know, Bianca becomes less superficial, Cameron becomes more confident and direct and Kat becomes less openly hostile to suitors. Uh, Heath Ledger's character, I can't remember his name. He's uh, becomes more tame and more interested in nurturing romance, less of that the dreaded toxic masculinity that you kind of see at the beginning and you know, until playing with fire. And yeah, just like, <laughs> like you're going, okay, like who's a, the guy who can handle this? You know, uh, I believe as it's put in the movie, heinous bitch. Um, <laughs> and so, like, it, it's, it's so, it's fun. It's another movie that, like, if you haven't seen it, then like it's one. Of, I like sit down and I'm like, okay, we're gonna watch this movie together. Um, I have. I remember in high school or I was college, like watched this movie and then made the mistake of saying, oh, let's say 10 things we hate about each other and like broke up with my girlfriend. Over, like, right after. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Like, I love it. Instead of, instead of it being like a funny like thing, it turned into something that was a far more, you know, severe thing. It's just like, so this movie has like a lot of significance for me. And it was also in a period where you know, 1999, I'm in middle school. So you're like going, okay, this is what high school is going to be like. And so it just, it has held this place in my heart. So I think this movie is incredible, but I mean, maybe nostalgia kicking in, but Larissa Olenek, who plays the younger, Alex quote Mack. unquote, quote unquote, <laughs> yeah, prettier Mack. daughter yeah. from the Nickelodeon show, The Secret Life of Alex Mack. Isn't that the show where she turns into the metallic goo? Yeah. Yeah. Classic. What classic show. happened to her? Uh, I don't know. I looked like her up feels- on IMDb. She's like, she's been playing in a TV series, but they're all like TV series I've never heard of. <laughs> One episode. No, no, no. Like multiple episodes. Oh, okay, cool. Anyway. Yeah. I think this movie's great, and he, you know, rest in peace, Heath Ledger. But yeah, awesome, awesome pick, Jamie. Are we done with this movie? Are we done, Dan? I yeah, that's great. Although I'll say, I'll say this, I'll say this. I knew a lot, a lot of my friends loved this movie and like gushed about it, and I was always like, yeah, whatever, because I'd never seen it, and then I finally saw it, and of course, I loved it. So because it's shakespeare yeah it's right. shakespeare i saw it like 10 years ago so for the first time so it uh, oh wow yeah i didn't see it when it came out which all my friends did and they loved it and i was you know sticking the mud about it but i came around it's funny how when you watch it now i mean when you watch it when you're younger you identify with uh either joseph lord levitt's character or uh, Julia Stiles or uh, whoever else in the film, the kids, the high school kids. But watching it now, you kind of uh, you kind of identify with the dad a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the, the da- uh, I think it's uh, I think it's what's his name, uh, Larry Miller, who yeah. is the 
I love the scene where he's like doing his little stretches or whatever. Yeah. It's just a great bit of, uh, he's got a great comedic performance. I just wanted to point that out. As long as you're not identifying with the school secretary or, or no, the guidance counselor. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. The phallus. No, 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 no. It's member. She, yeah, she's quivering, always says member. Quivering member. member. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Love it. Love it. Love it. Dan. It is your okay. round three pick. Round three pick. I'm going to go with Superbad uh, yeah. from 2007. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Greg Mottola oh, film. Uh, I believe, was it produced by Judd Apatow? I just assumed that it was. Uh, yeah, so Superbad. Uh, okay, so this came out in 2007. Um, you know, CinemaScore was an A-. minus. I love CinemaScore because it's like the, the day of survey when people go to see it on Friday. Uh, this movie crushed that weekend i remember i went i was like what 25 years old or something like that um you know Superbad is like an archetype like it's just the archetype of a coming of age film you have two high school seniors in like suburban los angeles i think uh they're nearing the end of their school year neither of them both of them are virgins and they want to go out and get laid is essentially what the movie's about and it's about how their friendship sort of evolves in this quest to get laid uh, it is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't Absolutely. think I've ever laughed as hard in the theater with a group of people than this movie. Uh, Seth Rogen uh, wrote the script uh, with his high school friend uh, or his longtime friend. Uh, Jonah Hill, Michael Sarah, the, the leads, Bill Hader, and the Stone is in this as well. Um, it is, it also, it kind of, um, I kind of consider it like the peak of that improv uh, era of comedy. Like, I was like, it starts like a 2003 old school. It was like one of the first movies where like everybody was doing improv on screen the entire time. And they were just like riffing jokes constantly. Uh, and this felt like, Superbad felt like the sort of peak of that era uh, in 2007, sort of the Apatow universe of comedy. And um, yeah, it's like the, what makes this film magic. I think is Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah are perfect counterpoints as best friends. Yeah. And the script is just fire. It is just mm -hmm. the opening scene when they're in the convenience store, just like spitting back and forth. Like that was some variant of me in high school. Uh, and I was just like, this is not only like really true to life, but also just uh, gut bursting hilarious. Uh, and I, and the thing about this movie too, is that I've rewatched this so many times since then and it like gets better with age somehow. It oh. just there's something about the story where it is at the end of the day. There's a it, you think about a mo another movie like this, like almost like an American Pie, where it's kind of a gross out, um, high teenage movie. But this really has a strong emotional narrative about two friends and male friendship, which you don't see a lot of uh, in movies. Just how two uh, younger guys get along together and how their friendship develops and how they learn how to actually express their emotions and say, hey, I do care about you, other person. I do love you. And there's no sort of weird um, sexual undercurrents to it at all. It's just like two guys who love each other uh, as friends. And I thought that that was very beautiful. Uh, but that's, that's at the core of this very raunchy teen movie uh, that, uh, that you see the surface of. And so it's a, I think it's a great combo of like a good emotional um narrative and, and hilarious comedy at the same time what do you guys think about this one i, I think well, well let me just highlight that i think it's important that this kind of a film that this raunchy kind of comedy 
it's yeah. still in the same genre and vein as all these other films we've been talking about. Days and Confused can be is a little bit like that. Yeah. But like, you know, you have these other films like uh, Mermaids or whatever, which is not super serious, but some of them are, are far more serious and they're more, um, you know, it, it feels almost dire. Yeah. Like the, it's ranges the gamut though, because some people really view their lives as more of a comedy and some people view their lives as more of a drama. It all just depends. And that coming of age story is, it, it, it's so versatile, I guess. Yeah. All right. I remember seeing this opening night on a Friday <laughs> theater packed. I'm <laughs> 17 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And we me i saw it with my uh counterpart my codependent other best friend and we looked at each other when the movie ended and we were, or as the everything unfolded these like like rapid fire machine yeah. gun comedic beats and you're just like laughing your ass off the entire time you're looking i'm looking at my best friend going like this is us oh my god this is us <laughs> and just like we walked out of that movie going like dude this can't explain us better at this point in our lives like like yeah definitely chasing girls and all that other you know not quite as ridiculously but uh yeah this movie it holds up i think because upon re-watching it you see you find more jokes and more jokes hit for you because when you watch a movie for the first time especially with a group of people the laughs people laugh loudly and they kind of cover up some of the dialogue which is actually genuinely funny and you miss out on some stuff so i i definitely think this is a worthy pick and it definitely deserves to be on a list uh like you were saying jamie we have this movie which is a raunchy comedy and then we have something like Moonlight, which is a very deep story. Uh, so that just shows that this genre can be, isn't just one thing. So is it my third round pick now? Yes. All right. My third round pick. And I'm going to have to choose. I got two vying for third place here. Oh, no, I don't. It's third round, right? Third round? Okay, per- The Perks yeah. of Being a Wallflower. It is based Oh, wow. I like based- this. This is good. I didn't see based- the movie. I read the book. <laughs> it is, yeah. This is uh, based on the novel by Stephen Chabosky. Chabosky? Sorry if I butchered your name there, sir. From 2012. Uh, it's got an 8.0 on IMDb, a 67 Metascore. But it's Rotten Tomatoes scores are 86 and 89%. Uh, it's written and directed by the writer of the novel, Stephen Chbosky, and uh, starring uh, Logan Lerman, Emma Watson, and Ezra Miller as the three main characters. This is a very, it's, the cast is huge, but those are the main three. Uh, it's about an introverted freshman who, uh, played by Logan Lerman, who's taken under the wings of two seniors who are the step-siblings, uh, Emma Watson and Ezra Miller, uh, who welcome, in, welcome him into the real world. And like I said earlier, this uh, I rate these kind of movies by how many times I cried, and I definitely cry a lot in this movie. There's so many uh, like revelations you come to as this 
truly disturbed and uh, traumatized kid. Uh, I think his name's Charlie. It yeah, escaped right. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is uh, very depressed kid. He was sexually abused as a child by his aunt. He was um, his best friend killed himself. And, and at the end, you, he sort of goes through this whole thing. He, he's battling depression throughout the whole thing. And uh, just, it definitely, it's set in the early 90s. So I definitely identify with a lot of the things going on. There's no cell phones. There's no, uh, there's no emails or internet or social media. And as there, I definitely wasn't in high school at this time, but I grew up during this time. So I understand my older siblings were uh, in high school during this time. And I definitely feel for this kid as me in high school, battling depression, uh, being on antidepressants, you know, uh, going to therapy and, you know, just definitely hits home for me. And I did read the book. I think it was part of a summer reading thing. So I definitely wanted to see this movie when it came out. And dude, I cried so hard at the end of this movie. You know, just that scene that sticks out to me is when he calls his sister and he's, she's like, she just starts freaking out and like telling him, telling her friends, she's away at college now, telling her friends, like, just call the police and send her to my house. You know, I'm just, it hits home because I know I have siblings that would do that for me as well. I would be reluctant. I was, well, I'm, I'm more interested in seeing it now. I was always reluctant to watch this because I loved the book, although it was hard to, to read. Um, because with a movie, it's, it's more passive with reading. You have to keep going. And even like when you feel that emotion that, that hurts and now knowing that it was written and directed by the author, which sounds great, you know, I'm, I'm much more apt to see it because I, when you love a book like this, I, if I hadn't um, gotten in trouble for teaching Looking for Alaska, this was the other one that I would have taught mm-hmm. to my students, my first year teaching, um, which I'm sure it would have gotten me in just as much trouble. Um, so, you know, it's it's one of those things of it's it's definitely a powerful story just having read the book and i'm anxious now to see the film yeah it's uh i just saw the film for the first time a month ago actually uh it was one of my favorite books in high school so it came out when i was in high school came out on mtv books i remember it was a publisher and uh i think i read it as a senior it blew my mind absolutely blew my mind uh for so many different reasons i think the mental illness aspect of it too is just like you just didn't you don't see a lot of depiction of that in a very honest way um often and i thought perks of being a wallflower did it in a way that was respectful to the characters uh and the suffering that people do go through especially when they're in high school and stuff like that and very confused about uh what's going on in their life Uh, especially they feel like they're very different um and I saw the movie and the movie, I thought I, I avoided the movie because I loved the book so much. And I was like, I don't want to see this. Like it's going to, you know, sully the mm-hmm. movie or whatever, or the book. Uh, and I saw it. I, it's a really good movie. It's super tight. Uh, it's really well done. It's a hard, I think it's a hard book to film like most mm-hmm. are. 
Uh, and he does a good job. I mean, obviously he wrote it, so he knows it. Um, but I think mm-hmm. even with the studio interference and stuff like that, that's always going to happen. He did a good job. Uh, and, that, and the soundtrack is just killed. I mean, it's an amazing soundtrack. Oh, right. Uh, it's uh, just wonderful. And the book is written as a series of letters, right? That this kid is writing. Yep. And oftentimes you find like narration in movies to be the death of, you know, a good storytelling. But yep. I think this works mm-hmm. because of it's it's kind of organic to him he's you know writing these letters and you're just hearing him writing instead of you know just kind of glancing at a page we never really find out who he's writing to though is it right uh i forget i think you do in the i think you do in the book maybe i'm not sure do you remember i don't it's been a long time yeah same and like i said i read this in high school and a lot of high school is just like this blur for me i'm just impressed you read a book in high school yeah wow anyways that's my round three pick and now it's going to get difficult for me as uh i head into round four round four (sighs) just do it just do it there's a lot of classics out there we've talked about right and they're uh, all right. I'm going with it. It's a new movie. It's animated, and I've never seen an animated movie like this before. It's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, nice. 2018. This blew everybody's minds when they watched it. Right, like 97% Rotten Tomato scores with a 93% uh, audience score, and it's written by Phil Lord. Starring Shamik Moore, Jake Johnson, Haley Steinfeld, Mahershala Ali, and Brian Tyree Henry. It's about the teen Miles Morales as he becomes the Spider-Man after the death of his universe's Peter Parker. He must join with five other spider-powered individuals from other dimensions to stop a threat for all realities. And I think this is one of the only superhero films as a true coming of age story i guess you have the original spider-man movies or spider-man homecoming and spider-man far from home sure but you don't really get that transition (laughs) for him like to get these powers and find out you know who he's meant to be and that ending scene in into the spider-verse where he jumps off the building and i'm you talk about killer soundtracks this soundtrack is incredible. And we listen to Sunflower on repeat sometimes in the house. <laughs> Dude, absolutely. But yeah, what you guys think? Uh, you know, I've never seen this. What? Um, yeah, I know, exactly. So I used to do, uh, before I did Film Trace, I did a, a box office podcast before the, when movie theaters existed. Remember that? Uh, me and Chris yeah. used to do it together uh, called the Wildland Podcast. And we, one of the movies we followed, you know, the last year of the show is, was um, Spider-Man the Spider-Verse. And it was just like seeing those numbers and watching it and like diving into the critical um, reception to that film. It was kind of amazing to see an animated film get that amount of respect because it was yeah. just like, it was immediate that like, this is one of the greatest films I've ever seen this year or in a very long time. And there was everybody. It was across the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, so I do. I definitely want to see it, but I just remember that specifically that like it really hit um, with a huge bang from critics and audiences alike. 
Yeah. It's on Netflix, man. You got no excuse now. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, but I, I love the film. I mean, it's Spider-Man of all the superhero films. Spider-Man it lends itself to coming of age story. But this one, the, the one we all know, you know is Peter Parker. And this one goes, no, 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 we're following Miles Morales. And it's like, okay. And so for a lot of people who, you know, you know, we're not necessarily apt to follow these uh, coming of age stories because we're older, you know, it, it, we go, well, someone else has got to pick up the mantle of, you know, the death of Spider-Man. It's like, hmm that's in some ways it's like the death of your childhood. So who, who picks it up? And it's a kid. And it, it, in that way, it's like, well, it, thematically speaking, it's, well, who picks up the, the future? Who's got your future in, in, in hand whenever you lose your potency and your agency? Well, it, it's the children. And yeah. so it's that next generation coming up. So it, this film, I think in a lot of ways is it's real powerful. And it, I mean, it's not in that, it's not super serious either though. It's, but it's got that element to it. That I think that gives it a, a lot of depth that a lot of uh, animated films don't have. I've never seen a, speaking of just like the, the animation aspect of this, I've never seen animation like this ever and i mean it's the coloring looks like an old school comic book i mean it's like a 3d kind of cell shaded uh interesting thing but we saw it we saw it together with your uh seven-year-old i think he was seven at the time and we saw it in 3d on accident and i was still blown away with how cool <laughs> it looked in 3d and yeah. i usually hate 3d movies but this Ditto. one is like incredible and uh yeah i think i can't wait for a sequel because this is definitely an awesome uh awesome movie all right so yeah round four huh this one was tough uh i had a lot of old i had a couple 80s movies that were in this slot and i just switched uh because i couldn't (laughs) do it um I'm going to go with, because it's my list, right, at the end of the day. Uh, so I'm going to go with um, The Virgin Suicides from 1999, uh, Sofia Coppola film. Uh, this is based on an amazing book. Um, the story is essentially um, a group of male friends become obsessed with five mysterious sisters who are sheltered by their strict religious parents in suburban Detroit in the mid-1970s. Um, this is Sofia Coppola's first film, obviously uh, the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola. It is one of those lyrical, very poetic films that uh, when you read the book, uh, it, it absolutely feels unfilmable. There is no way you can put what's happening on the page and what you experience as a reader on screen and make it work. But Sofia does it. Uh, she creates and weaves this very strange, there's almost this investigative in search of feel to the film. Like what happened to these girls? You know, it's called the Virgin Suicide. So obviously they kill themselves. Um, all five sisters. 
And so it, the entire film is essentially through the lens of these men or young men who um, were friends or associated with these young girls, but became obsessed with them uh, as high schoolers. And that obsession has stuck with them. And so you get these shots of a guy in like AA and he's like, you know, 45 years old, still talking about this girl who killed herself back in high school. And it's sort of, it really, um, I think, uh, the thing that I love about it the most in terms of the coming of age aspect of it is there is this mysterious element of going through that transition. And some people almost get stuck in that that phase mm-hmm. uh, and maybe they never really fully transitioned into adulthood. Maybe they get haunted in a way by their past and nostalgia. And it really drips with that sort of dread and haunting feeling of nostalgia that time is going to move forward no matter what, no matter what you do. And you're going to lose people. You're going to lose people that are close to you. And it really envelops you in that feeling um and i think it's from a stylistic perspective it is one of my favorite films by far uh, beautiful music by the french band or dj's air they basically wrote the entire soundtrack for the film uh and sophia it's her best film by far i would say um have you guys seen this one i have seen this uh what years ago when it was on netflix i don't yeah. remember it. i mean i've only seen it once <laughs> but yeah. it's uh I remember it being hard to watch. Yeah, but it can but, be but but beautifully beautifully filmed. I think uh, isn't Josh Hartnett in this film? Yeah, you got Kristen Dunst, um, Josh Hartnett, James Wood, and Kathleen Turner play the parents of the the five daughters. Yeah, what happened to Josh Hartnett, man? He's still around. Penny Dreadful. Yeah, yeah, he is in Penny. Well, that's over. It's been over for like five years. Has it really? Oh, yeah. Something like that. All right, Jamie, you seen it? No, I missed this film. Although, like every film, y'all after y'all talk about it, I'm going like, dang. You got to read the book. The book is like next level. Okay. So, book first, huh? Book first, yeah, yeah. definitely book first movie. Well, that that sounds more up my alley then. (laughs) (laughs) All right, dude, Jamie, round four, baby. All right. Well, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go uber classic here. Yeah, and I'm making it cringe when I do it, but I don't care. <laughs> Old Yeller. Oh, Old Yeller. Come oh, back, Yeller. All right, so 1957, uh, 7.3 on IMDb, 84 Metacritic. Um, the, the short summary, a mother and her two sons adopt a stray dog as they strive to make their Texas homestead work while the man of the house is on a way, is away on a cattle run. I can't say that without taking <laughs> an accent. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's just, it's a classic frontier tale of a boy and his dog growing up on the Texas frontier. I mean, the, the protagonist, Travis, he's a teenager. He's acting as the man of the house, um, you know, while his dad's away and they find what they believe is a stray dog. And I, and, you know, I'm giving this synopsis because like we take for granted that everybody has seen this film, but you know what? It's 1957 and I don't think as many people have seen it as we think have i think most people know about this movie from watching that episode of friends where (laughs) phoebe 
Phoebe's mom, Phoebe grew up, her mom would cut the movie short before the ending of the film. <laughs> right. And so, she's like, no, it's a, it's a happy movie. And they're like, no, it's not. And then she watches it. Yeah. So I think everybody okay. knows about this movie. Plus it came well, on Disney when we you were would, younger. You would think because you think Friends is ubiquitous, but you know what? It's actually not anymore. And a lot of kids, uh, teenagers haven't seen this film. I guess I'm more geared to that, you know, being in high school. But anyway, you know, they adopt the... The, the dog, Travis doesn't have any love for the animal until it starts, you know, proving useful, saving, you know, the family from a bear attack and all these other wildlife uh, dangers. And they become that classic boy and his dog, um, maybe cliche in some ways, but it is what it is. It exists because it does exist. Um, and ultimately, Old Yeller contracts rabies and he needs to be put down and the line where where it's the coming of age is you know this boy says no mama he's my dog i'll do it he's taking taking the the uh the rifle or uh, it's rifle or shotgun and he's gonna go and he puts the dog down um and that's it's it's kind of the the whole film is you know it feels light until it takes this turn and you're just like wow okay and compared to a lot of the other things that we've talked about you know maybe it's not the darkest turn but especially for its time it was very powerful and this was a this was a disney i mean it was like a kid's film in a lot of ways. i mean a family film at least in a lot of ways and it was on my short list for our family film draft but um i think it it fits better here and there's i mean it's it is a classic coming of age tale yeah, I think that um, in a lot of these coming-of-age stories, there's some sort of event that acts as a catalyst that propels the our protagonist or whoever it is, our titular character, to into adulthood or into uh, adult things that are uh, tough to deal with. Like, I can't imagine having to shoot my own dog. I got two of those little assholes running around right now, but I can't imagine doing that. So I can't imagine you doing that either. So right. I, I imagine that would affect you rather profoundly. I'd be like, I'm taking vacation for the next two weeks. See ya. <laughs> Nobody call, text, phone off. But anyway, yeah. Dan, you seen this movie? You know, I saw it as a kid, but I don't really remember it at all. I remember yeah. the ending, of course. Of it, course. Like, it Sticks traumatizes you. you forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I do kind of wonder, though, I'm just, I was just thinking as you guys were talking about with the ending, do younger people view that ending differently? I feel like if you were born, you know, before 2000, let's say, uh, and how people view animals and dogs and stuff like that, I, do people, I guess, uh, would a younger person do this to their dog? I just, I don't know if it translates anymore. Does it? I, well, I mean, there's no cure for rabies still. So, yeah. like, I mean, we we have a different means of putting down animals, but, I mean, the animals get put down all the time. It's just done, you know, in a vet, yeah. vet's office and, you know, with a needle. But I don't even know how you do it with uh, if an animal had contracted rabies like that. But, I mean, now we have shots to, you know, vaccines to prevent that for our yeah. pets. I also think it depends on where you're from where you live in the united states that's what I'm saying. yeah because yeah, i'm just saying where i grew up like if a dog our dog had rabies 
it, we know it was a very like kind of urban suburban place like you would just take it to the vet and put it down but like i don't think that's the case in a lot of parts of the country or you call animal there. control yeah yeah or you just you go out and shoot your own i mean like does that still happen it must still happen uh, i mean like, I'm rural sure america does, yeah but yeah. like well you know we have the the you know we're gonna take the dog behind the woodshed like that's a yeah that's a thing I've heard people say, but like, I, not in a context of actually having done it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're from the deep south, but <laughs> we're not like it's still pretty suburban. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't know. All right. Let's. Oh, what we're transitioning around five. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, close this bad boy out with round five. Jamie, it's your pick. Round five. I'm going to go what I feel like is a little off the wall with A Knight's Tale. Oh, my God. 2001. <laughs> a, a very largely panned film. Ian can, is making a face at me. Is that really <laughs> a coming-of-age story? Yes, actually it is. Um, I, I definitely think it is. Um, so the, the summary, when a, squire's, a peasant squire's knight dies his, his master dies he dons his armor and masquerades as a noble to win fame and fortune in the medieval tournament circuit uh starring heath ledger um as william um so like the whole theme is and, and it's like a man can change his stars you know becoming from a peasant to a becoming a noble um it's really it is a coming of age for william um and he's he's really coming into a maturity because at the, the beginning of the film he doesn't really they're they're just trying to get enough money to eat um and they're they don't have any agency as peasants so i mean in some ways it's a it's a class film in a lot of ways it's a romance film but all all the coming of age films kind of blend genres uh to some extent or other and you know, he matures from this uneducated macho type and try to learn how to uh, truly and nobly love a woman, not treating her like an object or a prize or um, something to be won. And it, you know, it's, like I said, it's as much romance as it is coming of age. It's a fun film. It gets a lot of flack, but, um, and even as somebody who loves history as much as me, it's one that I've actually come to love in recent years, I, when I first watched it, I was like, this is the stupidest film I think I've ever watched because it's like, they, they start, you know, it's like this rock music and all this other stuff. And I'm expecting, you know, like symphony scores. And then it's like, well, that's anachronistic too. But it, the film is full of anachronisms, but what it does is it makes a lot of this medieval stuff a lot more relatable. And I think, I think it really is about trying to take agency in your own life and not just accepting the fact that you are um, a child or a peasant or something with, you know, somebody who doesn't have agency and who can't do for themselves. So in that way, I think it really does play as a coming of age tale. Never seen it. I, see. I saw it when it came out, I think. It's funny you mention it though, because we do a, I do a movie night with some friends uh, back in the Midwest and we vote on a movie 
that's on the ballot this week is a night's tale and i think it's gonna win <laughs> nice. so it's definitely one of those films where i think people look back on it pretty fondly like it may not be they don't maybe consider a masterpiece or whatever but like i think there's a there is a warmness to it and a nostalgia element where people really enjoy that movie uh i haven't seen it in like forever so i can't really can't yeah, really comment it just did really bad when it came out like, yeah it was it, the trailer man like they they put the queen we will yeah, rock you in the trailer it. and that it a, it yeah. that's why i didn't go see it i was like yeah. mm-hmm. i didn't it see like, it till it was like, like ass <laughs> rent or something but i mean it's, i remember hating hating it when i first watched it because i was like i thought this was gonna be like knights and like medieval like and it is but it's got all these like like purposeful anachronistic elements to it definitely modernized yeah yeah well just completely out of time like okay so they start dancing like this but the thing is is what it does is it kind of blends the culture so that you can relate to it in a different way you know and and i i I appreciate it because what i i kind of missed the first time was that it's it's all purposeful so yeah all right all right, Dan, close this round out with your round five. Round yeah. five. This one's for Chris. Uh, we both love this movie. Uh, and he couldn't make it tonight, so I got to pick Lady Bird uh, from 2017. Uh, Greta Gerwig's debut film uh, as a director. Uh, Saoirse Ronan uh, stars as the, uh, um, the title character, Lady Bird. She gives herself that name. It's essentially about uh, a 17-year-old um in sacramento california in the early 2000s i think it's like the first early 2000s period piece it feels like um and she's essentially trying to figure out what she's doing with her life what we all do when we're senior in high school like do i go to college where do i go who am i um romance for the first time all that sort of stuff is involved um what makes this movie special i think is greta gerwig obviously is an, an actress who's been an actress for a long time um and you know very unexpected that it would be this good like debut films like this do not come around that often uh and she basically hit a home run in her first at bat um 99 on rotten tomatoes 99 i think some guy was yep. like i gotta knock this off i think that was the story right it's like one negative review um, it, it, it was so like it was like one sentence yeah and so it should be a hundred percent um it's just, uh, there's something about, um, there's an honesty to the way she writes the character. I think it's mostly about herself. It's very autobiographical. Um, it just rings so true, the awkwardness and the desire to feel heard by your parents, by your friends, by other people. To, I think the, the, the core element of the film is creating an identity for yourself. Who are you? Like, she creates her name, Ladybird. Uh, and doing that, and as someone who's done that uh, kind of when I was a teenager and stuff, trying to form your own identity, it never really works, right? It's always, you're always right. falling short. You're always sort of um, awkward in sort of expressing yourself. And she's super awkward in this entire movie. Um, but there's, there's a sincerity to it and an honesty to it and authenticity to the film that I think uh, rung very true to me and I think to a lot of critics and a lot of people who saw it. Um, it just feels, um, it just feels like, uh, an accurate representation of going through the coming of age transition that we all go through. 
Uh, and that's what kind of why I love it. I think it's uh, just a fantastic film overall. And you just can't beat Greta Gerwig being her debut film. There's just like, it has that rawness to it where it's like, this is our first time behind the camera and you can feel it in most of the frames. You're like, wow, there's a power to it. Um, so I loved it. Have you guys seen this? Yes, I, I've seen it. I saw it in the theater. Um, uh, this, this is one of those movies that uh, came out during movie pass era oh my god i love movie pass. so <laughs> we just went and saw everything and yeah, we yeah. heard obviously at the time it was 100 percent on rotten tomatoes uh yeah. that asshole hadn't written his one sentence <laughs> negative review um to knock it down and we loved it me and my wife were like this is so good we don't we couldn't like we didn't have that ability to really pinpoint why we loved it so much but uh she kind of goes through this journey where she it's kind of a subplot she has an her codependent best friend uh played by and we see this in super bad too uh played by beanie feldstein who i think this is her first movie yeah could be wrong but she's she was excellent i feel like she stole every scene she was in with her yeah, and uh, we see her later, of course, in Booksmart, and uh, this movie. She's a Catholic schoolgirl, and we. I think you didn't. I think that has a lot to do with her wanting to break free of all these molds. And Laurie Metcalf as her mom is so is good. So good. So good. Yeah. And the, I just want to talk about the opening scene to this movie. Right, they're arguing yeah. in the car. She's driving, and her mom. She's like just berating her about something yeah. i don't remember exactly i did rewatch it for this podcast but she's berating her and what lady bird does is she just jumps out of the moving car <laughs> like i want out i want to escape this and she does she moves away at the end of the film and but when she introduces herself she introduces herself as christine yeah and uh just a, yeah, like you said it's such a good movie uh to be someone's debut film like that's insane makes no sense right jamie you've never seen it i take it no i've missed the film as i do so often but you know you got young kids there's all right there's yeah it's a lot of daniel tiger and little baby bum and you know (laughs) stuff like that hey i've I've been getting to rewatch all the pirates of the caribbean films because we went to disney world (laughs) and went on the ride and my eight-year-old realized that there were a bunch of movies about this <laughs> so you know that's that's what's been on the tv <laughs> all right yeah last, last pick last Round pick five. this is it this is it it's tough i've got a lot of movies that didn't go here like didn't get taken off of my list and i thought a lot of these would have been taken <sighs> bruh I don't know what to take here. I was stuck with, I think I've really stuck between two movies and dude, dead air. Come on. I know dead air. Okay. <laughs> edit it out. Chill out. <laughs> um, I'll take pan's labyrinth. Oh, wow. That was on my list. wow. 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 Interesting. All right. Then you have to have a foreign film. Movie. Yeah, I usually have to take a foreign film, right? All right, Pan's Labyrinth that came out in 2006, uh, directed by the incredible Guillermo del Toro. 
I don't think I've ever seen a bad movie by him. Uh, uh, 8.2 on IMDb, 98 meta score, Rotten Tomatoes, 95%, audience scores, 91%. Like, this is universally beloved, right? It's about a girl in uh, Spain in 1944. And I think Spain was kind of a divided country at the time. They, they, were they sided. War. Yeah. They, one, half, one, one half sided with uh, Nazi Germany. Yeah, Francisco Franco. Yeah. So it is about this little girl who's the stepdaughter of a sadistic army officer in that Spanish world. And she escapes into this eerie but captivating fantasy world. I don't think I've ever seen visuals like this. Like the fawn, the freaking monster with the hand eyes. Oh my God. So the visuals alone in this movie are incredible and i watched it recently i gave uh, i was like you have to watch this movie with my wife and she usually she's like i don't know you know like i feel like i get lost if i have to read the entire time but this movie is ultimately about the death of innocence and i think the ending i mean it is sad i mean the ending is terribly sad and uh, what else? I mean, y'all talk about it because I'm, I'm losing my, my mind here to thinking about all the, I mean, this movie's terrifying too, but it's also beautiful in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, it's that nightmare ghoulish element to it that I remember. I remember, I just remember being in the theater just being overwhelmed by the visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, uh, and he's, he's a master filmmaker um and he has the ability to sort of depict and draw these gorgeous scenes on film that you know at the end of the day you can do that and it can't mean much but when del toro does it it means so much to the character as you're seeing it it just adds an extra layer to the visuals that you feel uh it's not just hey this looks cool it's like hey this looks cool and i feel something in addition to what I'm seeing, uh, he just—he's amazing at doing that, and he's just uh, Crimson Peak. You guys gotta go see that. It's amazing. It's fun. No one saw that movie, uh, but that's a fantastic other sort of example of his work. Uh, yeah, he's—he's he's a wonderful filmmaker, and I love him. Yeah. yeah, this this whole film. I mean, to me, it kind of feels like uh, what, like, like the whole thing, all the the terrible and terrifying imagery and and everything that you see throughout it's kind of like the like a metaphor or an extended metaphor over for what it would be for a child to try and come of age in a war-torn civil war-torn country um particularly when the fascists are winning and um and that's it's this terrifying thing and and it it the childhood is dead you don't get a childhood Mm -hmm. um you know and there's there's a lot of movies that are some of which we took some of which we didn't take where childhood is a little bit more fondly looked upon and this one this isn't that film um and you know none we that's one of the things about coming of age tales where you have um 
these these two you you they, you can almost categorize them two ways a fondness a nostalgic where you want to return to your childhood and your childhood was so difficult so messed up so horrible that the story needs to be told as a cautionary tale but you don't want to go back there mhm and you you as a child you sort of seek escapism in books and she that's what yeah. she does she reads all the time and escapism into this fant- fantastical world of uh all these you know mythical creatures and the other movie i was struggling with was uh a monster calls oh nice yeah. which is another film similar to this as uh but i think this is just too good to pass up on it was it was on my it was on my list um for sure i don't but um do do you want to do monster calls as your honorable mention (laughs) uh well i I don't know but you go first i'll think about it um i well shoot all right dan go first Well, I had, two, I had two that I was just like, I, how can we not mention these movies? Like, yeah, because shout out. Just, uh, Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. John Hughes, both. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, uh, 1985, 1986, back to back. You know, when you think coming of age, I think Breakfast Club. Like, to me, yeah. it's a paradigm of the genre of just these group of, you know, the jock, the nerd, they're in a Saturday detention uh, and they learn that you know they're not so special and they're not so different than every you know everybody else. Uh, it kind of sounds like an after-school special, but it's done so well by John Hughes. Um, and then it's just I don't know. You, you see that movie on TBS like every Saturday, right? It's always on. Right. Uh, and I think, this, it, I think this movie is sort of problematic now, looking at it through our 2020 yeah. lens. And oh, man. John Hughes movies are very problematic. I remember when he died. Like people are like going back and looking at his movies, like wait a sixteen candle, like dude, sixteen candles is <laughs> rape culture at like like played yeah. as comedy, and I'm like holy frick, I don't remember this and racism oh, too, yeah, and I'm like it was, dude, yeah, get a lot get this movie cancel it. cancel if there, if yeah. cancel culture no. needs to be a thing, get this out of here. Okay, I'm, I'm wholly I'm... opposed to cancel culture. I think that's <laughs> stupid stuff, but you know the thing is is that you can watch it as a cautionary tale if you want, but it, it was what it was at the time. And the thing is, is movie portrays, movies portray uh, how things were at the time. And that's one of the, the points about coming of age tales. Um, and you can argue that it glorifies it or not, or you know whichever uh, ill you want to talk about, and that's fine. I don't disagree with pointing out ills in, in culture. Um, but the idea that, that no one should get to watch this or we should not, you know, show it because of whatever, it's like, come on, I I mean, I'm not with it. Sure. I get where your perspective, but I think that, uh, it plays the date rape of a female character as comedic. And I think that is hugely problematic and not cautionary at all. It gives, it sends the wrong message. And if, if it's released on streaming or whatever, I think it should come with a disclaimer. Uh, John Hughes is dead, so he can't have any say in it. I guess his family could or whoever the 
production company. I think 16 Candles is super problematic. Also, racism is a key element to one of the comedic characters. And Breakfast Club, I think sexual abuse, verbal abuse, um, even Molly Ringwald has come out and talked about how rewatching this film with her daughter is made her feel yeah, so, like tweet. feel yeah. feel wrong about what some of the things and she had john hughes's ear on a lot of this stuff and um so just i just and then bender abuses her throughout the whole film and ends up with getting the girl anyway so i feel like this kind of sends the wrong message too and uh not cautionary at all but hey that's just my opinion uh and I'm not the only one with this opinion, but anyway, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you mentioned, do you feel yeah. like this is, uh, Ferris Bueller is a real person? Has that theory kind of, he's the, the figment of this other guy's imagination? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Wait, what's the, is it like a fan fiction theory going on here? I don't, I haven't yeah. heard this. Yeah, what like is it? The, they're like, uh, I've, the, he's Ferris Bueller's fiction? Or? Right. Right. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. Like a fight club type situation. Right. Exactly. Um, wow. That's, yeah. That's, I, I mean, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, just growing up in that time period, um, you know, it was a movie just watched over and over again. You know, I grew up kind of near Chicago and that's where it takes place. So it was kind of a local film on some level. Um, there is, I don't know, there is just sort of, it is the ultimate dream day off from high school. Uh, and I think, especially when you're in the drudgery of school and you hate it. Uh, there's a there's this escapism that that movie really um, celebrates um, about being young and kind of doing whatever you want to do. Uh, it's, it's about that sense of freedom. I, I, you know, my life is before me. I can do whatever I want. Right. Uh, and I just, I love that. And I still, I think it still has that sort of spark to it. Yeah. Sweet. Jamie, give me two quick um, well, I, I think you'd have to mention Stand By Me. Yeah, um, yeah it's on my list. What, it, it was on mine, too. It's on mine, too. It's just been so long since I've watched it. I didn't feel like I could talk about it and do it justice. Yeah. Um, and But another one that I, I picked out was um, not Pan's Labyrinth, but Labyrinth, um, which we've talked oh, about yeah. in our family movie draft. I'm doing uh, so. I'm trying so hard not to start singing that song. Yeah, um, but you know that that one I felt like it was a little bit of an outside pick. But you know the the big idea behind it is, you know, becoming a good adult is taking responsibility for your actions to make right the wrongs you've committed wittingly or unwittingly, and I think that's kind of a good central coming of age sort of theme. Um, with Stand by Me, it's like the the central theme is you know how to deal with death, and that's kind of one of those things of death is you know, that, and that we, it's the polar opposite of childhood, which is so full of life and energy and, and vibrancy. And so, you know, when you, when you deal with the death of a child, um, you know, that kind of jars a, a child's world. And I mean, it kind of jars everybody's world. Um, and we just, and I think that's kind of an important um, aspect that you got to play on yeah man so i think my two i'm gonna uh, uh dope have y'all seen dope no mm -mm. oh man 
uh, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's, it's 2015. It's, uh, it's about this black kid who's, uh, who categorizes him as like an old school hip hop head, a geek. He's got the flat top. I mean, this movie covers uh, stereotypical, uh, like fitting in stereotypes so well. Um, and it kind of juxtaposes him with this street drug dealer played by um, ASAP Rocky, who is a, a hip hop artist. And uh, it's just this kid's journey as he, he's super smart. He takes the AC, he, I mean, he's, you know, got to take the SAT. So he's navigating this crazy LA uh, journey through uh, with drugs and his SAT trying to get into Harvard. And uh, yeah, it's just a really good film directed by Rick Famuyiwa, who uh, is involved with directing some of the Mandalorian episodes. So nice. Uh, and the kid, the main character is the voice of Miles Morales on uh, Spider-Verse. So awesome, awesome film. And another one I want to shout out, I already shouted out Monster Call, so I kind of cheated. But uh, <laughs> sh- what movie is that? Edge of 17. Have y'all seen that uh, one? Yeah. Um, With Haley yeah. Steinfeld. Yeah, Dude, Haley Steinfeld. I watched that. I rewatched that movie today. And uh, obviously I don't, um identify with a girl's journey as much but i find girls journeys much more interesting than guys you know we're centrally focused i think on girls and uh she's kind of dealing with a lot of stuff the death of her father her brother being the better looking better uh, more popular one and losing her best friend to her brother as they start a relationship and woody harrelson plays the teacher in this movie and he is hilarious he's just like a a no-nonsense kind of i i don't give a shit kind of attitude toward her but he really does care about his students and her but yeah this movie was cool well you brought up a good thing that i kind of wanted to talk about um like a number you know we talk about in 2020 you know there are there enough like female protagonists versus male protagonists like you know is there proper representation and things like that but like I'm looking at a lot of our films and just looking because I guess most of our stuff is a little bit later you know do I think if we looked at our lists are we I think we're more female weighted is that mine's not (laughs) mine's four males and one female (laughs) (laughs) okay well like I'm curious is is there something to that is it like Cause like, I remember reading like Hunger Games and going like, or, yeah. and I, I actually read all the, the entire Twilight series and I'm going like, I hate this. This is the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, but with mermaids, I'm going, oh, this is, this is fun. And like, she's completely neurotic and like, it's hilarious and interesting, but like, I don't know. Is it, is it something where we as guys are like find women so confusing that like this is some sort of insight to understanding them better i don't know i'm, I'm curious I, I really just don't know like what makes us kind of do that like if there is it just the story regardless of pro- protagonist or what uh, i don't know <laughs> honestly but i do maybe because 
I feel like a lot of the guys' journeys are pretty one note, right? Unless it's they've really done something unique here. Like you get something like Super Bad, where you know their sole focus is getting laid, or uh, but that's a comedy. Yeah. Okay, but a lot of guys whole as a guy who grew up around that time a lot of our sole focus was girls and i think a lot of these stories tell that it that is involved with that so it's it's a little easier to relate to while girls deal with it in a different sort of way that is uh, more intriguing i think okay fair enough i mean i will say that like looking back like in the late 90s and Elias coming to each other, like it was mostly about men. Like I look at my list, Rushmore, Donnie Darko. These are early, late nineties, early two thousands. It's all men. Um, what are the other ones that came out? Um, there's just a t- there was a ton of them. Squid and the Whale about uh, you know a young man. I think it's only recently though you see something like a Lady Bird. I think one of the reasons why it feels yeah. so special and interesting is it's it has that almost male type narrative to it but it's a woman going on that journey right. and book smart like we've already brought up is another great example the movie's hilarious that. yeah but yeah, i mean like with good. but with like labyrinth that's 1986 mermaids is 1990 um and but the eight yeah. the 80s yeah. man that's that was all Same. girl like molly like john hughes molly was Ringwald. obsessed with a molly ring pretty and pink and 16 candles and yeah, that's true. That's he true. had a thing for her. <laughs> you know, yeah. but 10 Things I Hate About You was 1999. Uh, that's a yeah. little bit of a mix. Uh, you know, it's kind of even-handed. That's a group dynamic sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, just kind of recap our picks, uh, count them down from first to five. And uh, Daniel, why don't you start us off? Sweet. I had uh, Rushmore is number one. Donnie Darko is number two. Superbad is number three. The Virgin Suicides as number four, and my number five pick was Lady Bird. All right. Jamie? And I had Mermaids as number one, Dazed and Confused as number two, Ten Things I Hate About You as number three, Old Yeller as number four, and A Knight's Tale as number five, which I always got to pick a weird random movie. Like, <laughs> definitely not going to win the vote with that one sir all right so my <laughs> number <laughs> yeah my number one pick is inside out uh i'm moonlight at number two perks of being wallflower at number three number four i have spider-man into the spider-verse and five pan's labyrinth so dan thanks for uh coming out yeah I love and it. Hanging out with me. us. Yeah. And uh, just where can they find you on the internet? Uh, just look up Film Trace, Film Trace podcast. We're out there on everything. Uh, and we'll have a new episode up this week, uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. So check it out. Sweet. As always, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, rate us on Apple Podcasts. We, uh, and we'd love to hear some of the ones we left out. Uh, obviously, we left out Boyhood because that movie wasn't that good. and we're gonna hear about it (laughs) so jamie sign us out this has been the cine siblings podcast i'm jamie i'm ian and that's dan down there (laughs) all right thanks for listening everybody thanks for coming on the show dan and uh peace out peace 
Thanks for listening to the Cine Siblings Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cine Siblings Pod.